The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, everybody, to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where your rabbi reveals how the world really works. And uh, I uh, will remind you later on during the show that uh, if any of you are interested, and a whole lot of people have signed up, this is quite amazing, a, a whole bunch of listeners have already joined. I'm very excited about that because I'm talking about the cruise next March, April that uh, we're doing with Glenn Beck. And Susan and I are really looking forward to the leisure time on board the ship uh, to catch up and talk and explore and get to know you. And all of that uh, is available. Um, so you, more information on it, you just go to come sail away, come sail away dot com, come sail away dot com. But uh, I don't know how many uh, Lappin cabins are still left. Those come with a discount. And by the way, if you happen to have booked before I started announcing the discount, um, you should still have got it as a as an early bird. So just make sure that you did get a $400 discount if you already booked. If not, you just be in touch with the organizers or with me. We'll straighten you out. And if you're thinking about it now, you can either go to Come Sail Away uh, to get more info or uh, at our website, and also at our Facebook page on social media, uh, there is a link for directly for the Rabbi Daniel Lappin cabins. Okay, uh, as some of you know, this may be the first time in um, thirty more than thirty years. Uh, this may be the first time that we are going to be on a boat that I am not commanding, captaining, driving. Uh, this is extremely unusual for me, and I ordinarily turn it down, but this looked like a, a very fun opportunity. So Susan and I will be um, on the ship as a passenger, not as a crew member, which is going to feel extremely bizarre to me, I have to tell you, but uh, I am looking forward to it anyway. And guess what? You know who's here with me right now? None other than my collaborator, um, my, I was going to say my partner. That's a very loaded phrase these days. It, assume, it kind of suggests we're not married. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and not planning to, right? If I said you were my girlfriend, like <laughs> I spoke about a few weeks ago, at least that implies we may be moving towards a different status. But as you correctly pointed out, the new word partner is a uh, stagnant term. It's, it's, it's who we are, it's where we are. Uh, but Susan, thanks so much. Always fun to do a show together with you. We're not, we don't do it nearly often enough, so I'm pleased I was able to grab a hold of you and, uh, and seduce you into doing this show today. You know, the, the option was cleaning chicken, so it really <laughs> was my, my best offer right now. <laughs> Um, okay, well, uh, let's let's start off with me uh, interviewing you. Oh, dear. Okay. okay. Uh, we'll start off in, in interview format. I, I don't expect it to hold to format because we are rule breakers all the time from beginning to end. But, uh, okay, so here is, um, here is something we've received two of in the last few days. Uh, we've received two letters from people who... Um, basically both said the same thing. We we like you. We've known you for years. We think you're wise. You've got very great information. But we can no longer, in one case, uh, be friends with you. In the other case, we can no longer, we cannot go with you on this uh, cruise, which we otherwise might have wanted to do, because of your support for President Donald Trump. And so... Um, Susan, uh, to you then, that is the question. I want you to answer these two people who communicated with us and essentially uh, expressed their disappointment in us and even their disdain. And in one of the cases, I think it verged on anger with us 
for supporting Donald Trump. So how can you, as a woman, support the serial groper and racist Donald Trump? Well, actually, one of the – I would just change one verb you used. You said we like you and – it's we liked past tense and respected you, and we no longer do because you support Donald Trump. In other words, somehow – that has changed whether they're saying we were we must have been mistaken for the past 30 years that we've known you or whether or whether they're saying you've changed we you know somehow something different has happened to you i don't know which one of those it is but one of them was specifically aimed at me more than you though because it was in response to a susan's musings i wrote explaining why i'm even more enthusiastic about voting for president trump in the next election than i was in the last one and however, it, it included you as well because he knows that we're on the same page. And, and it was angry. And, and that was really fascinating to me because, and it's not a close friend, but it's somebody we've certainly known for a number of years and we've, we have many friends in common. And it, it, that's a strange um, emotion, anger, even disappointment, I can understand. You know, you're disappointed when a friend... or someone you've looked up to doesn't seem to be doing the right thing. But anger tends to suggest to me a refusing to face your own emotions. I mean, it's going to sound, I'm not a psychologist, but when you get angry, very often you're protecting yourself. In other words, I think it's actually very troubling because in some way this person is has to believe they're right, but they're not 100% sure, because if they were 100% sure, I don't think they'd be so angry. So I'm going to let you answer specifically uh, these people explaining why it is that we're under no illusions. We don't think Donald Trump is a choir boy. Um, we, we don't think that uh, he is a good candidate to be hired as a, uh, an assistant pastor at the local evangelical church. We understand all of that. But while we still eagerly and enthusiastically support his, uh, his, his presidency and his candidacy in the next election. But uh, before that, I just want to throw in an, a few other circumstances in which you get a similar kind of reaction. So, for instance, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you have your own example, but for instance, if um, somebody with whom a guy, imagine we've been friendly with the guy for a long time, and he, he comes along to introduce us to his girlfriend whom he is getting engaged to and wants to marry. And we really don't like her at all, but because of our friendship with him, we're obviously going to try and and be nice, but it's perfectly obvious that she dislikes us even more. And so uh, in a situation like that, he may well say, listen, you're not being nice to my girlfriend who's going to become my wife. I can no longer be friends with you. I I think that's a stretch. I don't think those are comparative at all. In other words, you're right. We've certainly had situations where people have introduced us to and intended and we've said to ourselves, gosh, we think this is a mistake. We really don't. There's something about this person that really rubs us the wrong way. We wish they would. our friend would ask us our opinion, but he's not. And we are courteous. So if he comes and now she doesn't like us and yes. she's convinced him that we're not being courteous. And as I don't think it's an equivalent. I just don't. Sorry, okay. I don't. I don't right, give me an equivalent situation. Um, you know what? I'm trying to think. Let's say. I'm not sure there is an equivalent situation. Okay. I have to tell you something. As you know, my when I need a lift in my day, I go to the walkaway page on Facebook because I love the stories of people walking away from the Democrat just, Party. Just give people a quick summary for people who don't know anything. I had lunch yesterday with a – not lunch, but I had a, a, a get-together with somebody who uh, – Didn't who know about didn't it. Didn't know about uh, it at see, all. See, this is and shocking because that person should because yes. they're very involved in politics. Yes, correct. Um, by the way – um, Brandon Strzok, who's the founder of the walkaway movement, spoke at the President Trump rally yesterday. Oh, how wonderful. Or two days ago. I don't know oh, what it was. interesting. I didn't um, know that. Well, Brandon is a um, was somebody who, for years, thought, as he was told to think, that all Republicans are horrible people, racist, homophobic, you know, all those, put in all the obics that you want, that those were Republicans. And then he, something opened his eyes, 
and all of a sudden he realized that, oh, he says, he has a very funny line, he says he realized that CNN had lied to him, and could it be that they'd lied to him more than once? And he began doing his own research instead of ex just accepting whatever CNN told him as gospel truth. And he found out that he actually is not a Democrat because he believes in free speech. He's patriotic. He loves this country. He believes in people being allowed to have different opinions. Um, he believes in helping the poor rather than just talking about helping the poor. All sorts of things made him realize he's actually not a Democrat. And he was then horrified to get the reaction from his friends, which is, well, we cannot be friends with you. The, the, the pushback was terrible. He started an organization called the Walkaway Movement, and he, he posted a video explaining why he was walking away from the Democrat Party, and he invited other people to do the same. And I believe it's a couple of hundred thousand people at this point that have done so, either posted videos or told their stories. And I'd say the universal theme is that once they said the slightest positive thing about Donald Trump, relatives and friends said, I can't be your friend anymore. You're obviously a horrible person. And, you know, so I, I do think this is unique because we certainly voted differently than many people in past years and past elections before 2016. But I don't know of anyone who said I cannot be your friend because you voted for someone other than I voted, you know, different than I voted for. So I really do think this is actually a, um, a unique situation. Okay. All right. So answer uh, those people now who are deeply disappointed in you and can indeed no longer be your friend, can no longer do this, that, or the other. It, answer them on, uh, on why you support Donald Trump and why, uh, why you seem to surrender your integrity. One of those people was essentially saying, uh, you've obviously shown that you're not a religious person at all, that you can support a guy like him. So um, this came in response because my hesitation at supporting Donald Trump for two, what is it, three years ago, I guess, at this point, was when he was, there were other people in the race. And it was when he was the, was before he was the candidate. And my hesitation is that I have spent many years um, teaching our own children, as well as teaching the members of our community when we had a synagogue, as well as writing about in my, my musings or in speeches that I've given, speaking about the importance of speech and how speech um, in, in, in Jewish life, in, in, in scriptural, I mean, there are so many verses one could quote, but a huge part of living a godly life certainly in the Jewish tradition, and I, it's true in the Christian tradition as well, is being careful with your speech. The whole idea of sticks and stones can bake, break my bones, but words can never harm me is not a, a biblical idea. The biblical idea is that words can harm terribly in many ways more than breaking a bone. And the speaker and the hearer. And to the speaker, to the hearer. And I, I mean, my kids, I used, to, I used to tell the kids, as you know, they, they would certainly would not use what would be listed as real curse words in front of me. One child tried it once, and she ended up walking home a few miles because I dumped her out of the car. But um, most of our kids would, thank God, it's not language they use. But even using words like stupid or just just making fun of somebody, that was not acceptable, and they, they knew it. And if something really extreme happened, I used to say, you may say, dearie me. And yes, that was funny, but the idea was there. Like, I don't care that you banged on a ha your nail with a, with a hammer. There's language we do not use. So all of a sudden, I'm faced with a man whose language is not up to my standards. And that was, what, that was the thing that actually, for me, it was the language. It was the belittling of other people. It was even, it's calling names, calling other people names. All that stuff was, that was the biggest issue for me, more than anything else. And you'll remember that uh, I explained and insisted, this was back in March 2016, during the Republican primary season, I explained that, uh, that only somebody who was willing to be a street fighter on a level that that you may not enjoy or like, but only someone like that stood even the slightest chance of winning against the Clinton machine with its ruthless ambition. And I I heard you, but it was still as long as there was another option that I could have thought might win, um, 
I was, you know, hoping that one of those other people, the fact is that each of them, each of the people I would have preferred for one reason or another ended up disappointing me and convincing me even before they dropped out that they were not going to be strong enough. And I was left with Donald Trump and I was left with a choice. I mean, you, you don't get to choose who you want. You get to choose. We got to choose between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Quite frankly, when it comes to language, when it comes to treating women badly, I, I felt that she was worse than him. So at that point, I had, okay, I can go for the better of the two options on exactly these issues. The fact that the press does not report her temper tantrums and the times and the language, her language when she loses it, the fact is we know that she does. The press just doesn't talk about it. The, the way she treated women, I don't believe Donald Trump has ever treated women as badly as Hillary Clinton has. And so then it was an easy choice. At that point, it was an easy choice. Now, two years later, A, and I did... Um, hold that thought for a second because we'll come back. Okay. And you'll you'll pick up from now, now two years later. And also, I will ask why. Why is it not a betrayal of your standards? Why is it not a betrayal of your principles? Um, and, of course, it isn't, but I, I want to try and articulate just why. Because you and I are by far and away not the only people who are being attacked by friends and even family members, not in our case, thank God, but many people are. And, uh, and the attack very often is, you know, I thought you were a decent person, and look at you. So, okay. Um, but it's also disgusting, you know, the number of people in MAGA red hats who are being attacked. Oh, physically assaulted. Yes. Or, yeah. or verbally, people yeah. verbally and physically assault, which... Again, we know it's if it was reverse, bad. if it was the reverse, it would be the headlines of the New York Times every day. Of course. But a quick pause because we have an exciting new product. We do. And we have to talk about it right now. Okay. Um, and I'm going to ask you to talk about it with particular reference. Okay, you know that I've been asking people in shows over the last few weeks to write and tell me where people are listening from so I can put pins in my map. And uh, <laughs> anyway, one, we got a lot of people all over the world. We, I mean, we got a huge number of people in Australia listening. We got we people do. in Canada. But I think the most dramatic growth over the last year or so on this show has been on the continent of Africa. Yeah, exactly right. Which is, it, it's really, it's really very interesting because. I just went back to Africa for the first time in decades. I've been away and from you Africa. you loved it. <laughs> and I loved it. Yes, I, I really, I, I was emotionally moved, but I, I loved the people I met in Ghana. Uh, but it's, it's not just Ghana. It's Zambia. It's Zimbabwe. It's Nigeria. Um, we even had somebody from Burkina Faso, uh, whose capital is... Not Wagudagu. <laughs> yes. Wait, what, what is it? Wagudagu. Wagudugu, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of the greatest city names uh, imaginable. Um, but at any rate, a lot of folks in Africa. So this is of particular relevance uh, to them. Go ahead, Susan, you're on. Well, we um, well, specifically, this, part, this resource is available to people who live in the United States and Canada as well. However, what we're most excited for people internationally because it is a downloadable resource. And it is the, we, we have had uh, two CDs that we sell that are downloadable on financial matters, on improving your financial situation, which has to do at the same time with improving yourself because they go together in a, in a biblical worldview, they go together. The better you are as a person, the better you will do financially because you will serve other people in a greater way. In other words, the key thing, and if you pardon me jumping no, in jump here, in, but here's the, the key thing is that um, uh, if you want to become a better tennis player, it's you've got to learn the things to do. If you want to be a better racing car driver, it's the thing you've got to learn things to do. But if you want to increase revenue through the process of economic interaction with other human beings, it's not enough to learn the things to do. You've got to learn things to do as well, like reading a financial statement. But you've also got to change who you are, not just what you do. You've got to change who you are, literally change, change who you are. And that's why it really is, um, it's, it's a human development program, but essentially uh, what we're talking about is revenue increase increasing the amount of money you make there are a lot of great programs on investment but that 
Or Getting Out of Debt. We recommend Dave Ramsey's books. Yeah, there's uh, all, all of those, and they're all very, very good. We're talking about specifically increasing income. Well, so what we have now, a new resource, and it can be downloaded, which is wonderful. People in the United States or people who want to pay, you know, or people in Canada can get a US, it on a USB flash drive. But it's also downloadable, and it is 10 videos of my husband teaching the principles of increasing wealth and working on yourself, understanding money. Um, it's, it's the principles that have been in, in the books, in the CDs, in the appearances over the years, and it's put together into 10 videos. And that is now available, and since no one wants to pay extra money right now as we're introducing it, it is on a special introductory price. And so people can actually save $50 by ordering now. Um, so it's it's broken down into 10 videos. 10 videos. And you can either order it on a little USB thumb drive, which will come to you in the mail. Right. Or if you're, if you're in the United States or Canada, Canada you can right. do that. But everywhere else in the world. You can still access it. And it's a digital download. So you go to the website at rabbidaniellappin.com, or you need a rabbi.com. That also works. And uh, you look for the Financial Prosperity Collection. The Financial Prosperity Collection. And uh, you will be able to read more about it there and see if that is something that you and your, your family um, will benefit from. Or maybe, maybe you have a small group of friends who get together to help one another with business problems. By the way, I, I always recommended that. Um, Napoleon Hill, I think, used to call it a, a mastermind group. But um, even just very informally, you know, if, uh, if you've got a group of friends who are all trying to build their finances and develop their economic strength, um, it's not the worst thing in the world to get together, you know, twice a month or even once a month. And uh, and if you do, one of the things you might want to do is actually uh, listen to one of these 10 lessons each time and then have a discussion session and talk about how you have applied this principle in your, uh, in, in your own business life or uh, how somebody else has, has struggled with it, whatever it is. It is a very useful tool in expanding your financial shadow. Um, okay, so uh, we'll, we, we will come back to that and remind people again, but all of that is at rabbidaniellappin.com. And now you, um, you, when I interrupted you, you were saying, and now here we are two years later. So two years, so really two years ago, it was anybody except Hillary Clinton, because I honestly felt that the country was going to be in serious trouble because not only are do I not trust her but I do I do and did believe that there was a deep state and that so she would get away with things and there was nothing to stop by a deep her. state you mean a vast uh, system of federal uh, and state bureaucracies peopled by individuals who all share a world view congruent with that of the left wing of the Democratic Party. Yes. And so that their interest was not in protecting the Constitution, but it would be in hiding anything negative and um, pushing forward agendas that were harmful to America. So Donald Trump, you know, there was no choice for me. That was the best way to go. Now we're uh, more than two years after President Trump has become president and his actions. I, I just look at his actions and I think they've been great for the country for the most part. I'm not going to ever support somebody 100 percent. I didn't even accept I didn't even support 100 percent of everything Ronald Reagan did. You know, that's not realistic. I don't support 100 percent of what I do. That's not a realistic benchmark. But I believe that the country is better off and there's at least an attempt to turn back policies that I see are leading the country towards destruction. So I vote very happily for him because, as you say, he is a street fighter. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of reading lately about General George Patton. And I, I wrote to somebody in a message and I said, you know, if, if my son, if we had been, if we were a lot older and we had had children in World War II, I would have, I I, I I believe I have read that General Patton would greet new recruits with a tremendously profanity-laced um, welcoming speech. Yeah, it was a vulgar tirade. Very vulgar. 
And it was very deliberate because he said he was getting good boys, what, what I would think our son, please God, would fall into. And these good boys were going to have to do things that they'd been basically taught not to do, to basically kill somebody else, to to not wait and take them to a trial, but simply to, to you know, on the spur of the moment to lean out and kill. They were going to have to deal with things. They were going to have to become tougher. And so as a mother whose child would have undergone that, I would have I would have cried for my child's innocence. I spent years building a child who is innocent, and I mean innocent in a good way, not in a stupid, naive way, but building a child to speak well and to act well and to be courteous and kind. And now somebody was trying to rob him of that. Well, the alternative is that my child, God forbid, was going to be killed. So there's no, you know, I don't like my two choices, but it's not that I, but I'm tremendously grateful for the choice, the one choice, which is he's going to be under General Patton, who I believe truly cares about him. Do you know that and General Patton uh, wrote in his will he wanted to be buried not in Arlington Cemetery? And he came from a very prominent family. I mean, there were, there's family burials. He insisted on being buried in a military cemetery alongside His men. the fallen men of the Third Army in Europe, where he where he lies. So I do believe, you know, d different generals have different um, assets, different things they bring to the table. One of the things he brought was a love for his men. And I don't think that every general does feel that way. So it doesn't surprise me when you say that. I think his men felt that he loved them. And, and not so, only that, I, I could well imagine, um, I, I could well imagine mothers of boys in the Third Army who prayed for Patton and, 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 and loved the man because of what their sons would tell them about how so, he... Right, so I'm saying, so not only would I say, well, the better, I'd rather have him alive and exposed to some, some vulgarity... It's that I'm grateful because that's what has to happen right now. There's no other choice. I've got to live in reality. I don't get to live in the utopia of world peace where we can focus on courtesies and, all, and you know, a higher level of, of behavior. We're living in a world where there's a monster out there trying Look, to take Susan, over the world. I think that if you entered a Miss Universe contest, I think you should win. But the only problem is that if you won and they said to you, and so what would what would you like to see? I, I've got a feeling you're not going to come out. Peace. It's not going to come out with a world peace thing. You're, you're referencing whatever that movie was that the girls watched once. Miss Congeniality. Miss Congeniality. Uh, Sandra Bullock, I Bullock, think, maybe. Yeah. Um, but many people may not get the reference. But um, so... Trump is, I think we do need a fighter now because I think that we really are in a war and I do think we need a street fighter. You know, he recently, right, he spoke about um, Baltimore and being in rat infested and, and every, oh, racist, racist, racist. And, the, and someone wrote and said, well, I agree Baltimore is rat infested as Elijah Cummings and as many Democrats have said. But when Trump says it's racist, so he should have just maybe written a nice letter saying, gosh, I think Baltimore is having some problems. Maybe we should um, explore where all the money that Elijah Cummings has gotten has gone to. And that would have landed not even on page 48 of The New York Times. It would have landed nowhere. The reason it's on the front page is because he made it, he, he did it in an unrefined manner. That's why there's now attention being paid. And if you tell me that little children in Baltimore are going to grow up in a healthier environment because of that, I'm not going to say, gee, I wish, I, I don't, I think President Trump should not have spoken if he can't speak in a refined manner. He's helping them. He's done more for the city of Baltimore through that one comment than Elijah Cummings has done for years. Okay, um, we're not we're not, we're not done, done with that. Well, we sort of have to be soon. But um, but all right, here's all right. We spoke earlier about our listeners in Africa. We got listeners yes. in Pakistan. We've got listeners in oh, a new listener in Afghanistan this last week. By the way, we've got um, we have listeners in Saudi Arabia. Yes, I know, I know. Uh, it's it's really quite wonderful. Um, you know, I was originally disappointed when I left um, radio KSFO when I left terrestrial radio on the KTTH. west coast no no um, you were back on ksfo don't you remember oh, right i'm sorry yes for we, a long were, time we were on yeah, ksfo sorry um but the truth is this our is, audience is is 
by orders of magnitude, it's far, far bigger yeah, today. Yeah, podcasts are much bigger than radio. It's incredible. And, and you know, we listen. We consume podcasts because uh, you can listen to what you want, when you want. Anyway, anyway here's my question. Um, r- right now, we've been talking for a good few minutes about uh, why our support for President Trump uh, it, why it is, and, and I think your comparison with General Patton is wonderful, it's very good. Um, but now, put yourself in the mind of a listener in Saudi Arabia or Kenya or Nigeria mm-hmm. or Brazil. Somebody, you know, they're not that interested in American politics. It is what it is, it's not part of their world. What of what we've been talking about? has involved a timeless truth or a permanent principle that uh, would apply, that that could have value in the life of a listener in another country, on another continent. Um, In other words, what are we talking about here that is of permanent value? Well, I'll tell you what is, and I I tend to think in terms of being a mother. So if I can answer, and then the men, no, they're fathers, or you can take it and, and translate it. But I... I think you have to deal with the reality on the ground. And and this is true, so I'll say for any parent, but it's also true for marriage. It's true for everything. In other words, you can have, and I do think we have to have certain things that are absolute lines in the sand and you will not cross. But it's very easy to get caught up in this is how I thought it should be done 10 years ago. This was successful 10 years ago. And the fact is the world is changing at such a quick pace that you you have to be able to say, to look at reality and not just to say, well, these are my beliefs. They've always been my beliefs. And this is the application of those beliefs is what's changed. In other words, I think that President Trump is standing up for my beliefs. The way he's doing it isn't the way I would have preferred. I'm sorry, that's where it has to be done. I really do think it has to be done. In other words, you're saying the way you might have preferred it to be done, you accept would not work. Would not work. Look, I I was horribly disappointed. As you know, I was in tears quite a lot about Mitt Romney. I felt he was more invested in being a gentleman than winning, and he lost. Well, being a gentleman loser was not good for America. That what happened was not good for America. Although I'd much rather, the way things have yes, played out, I'd much rather have... To, that led to President Trump because... I'm yeah. much happier with President How, Trump than I would be separate, with President Trump. That's a separate Romney. issue. But yeah. I want to say that there are things that, as parents, we um, maybe we were adamant with, and I watch our children with their children, and it, they can't do the same thing simply because the world has changed, and they have to deal with the reality that's in front of them. They can't deal with the reality that was in front of us 20 years ago. And so I think that's that's part of it, that you have to know, you know, in, in Jewish law, you're, for example, you have to give up your life. If someone says to you, kill this person or I will kill you, you have to be killed. That's an absolute inviolate biblical, 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 law. biblical yeah. law. But most things don't fall into that. Most things have a certain... Um, you can look at it and, 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 and seek wise guidance, but you might get a different, you will get a different answer on many things than you would have gotten 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 500 years ago. Things are different. So you've thrown some questions at me. I have a question for you, and I'm asking you now as not only my husband, but as my rabbi. Let us say that, God forbid, um, one of I don't even want to say it. So let's say somebody we loved had a very serious illness, and there are literally only two doctors available. And one of them is an upright, moral person we would love to have as our child's Boy Scout leader. We would love to have as our a baby. If it, you know, We'd love to have our children stay in his, or should I say her to be politically correct? It doesn't matter. To stay in this person's house, if we were going away for two weeks, we would feel confident that, that our child would do well in their house doesn't happen to have a very good success rate as a doctor. A lot of his patients don't make it. A lot of his patients end up having to go back in for a second surgery because the first one was botched. And the other person is a doctor with an excellent success rate and is a known adulterer. Now, or maybe he's, um, you know, he's known to be, to be nasty even to his wife, let's say. He's not a good father. We would never put our children in his house. 
We would never say, see this person as a role model, as a citizen, as a father, as a neighbor. Do, are we morally and religiously obligated to go? These are only two choices, remember. Are we morally and religiously obligated to pick the doctor who is likely to be less successful? Absolutely not. Let's call it, in future, I think we should call this the general patent principle, <laughs> um, which is that, uh, um, look, I, I think that um, general, the British general um, Montgomery, for instance, was probably a more refined person than General Patton, but he wasn't as effective. Now, he wasn't a nobody or anything. I mean, he, uh, he uh, administered, uh, well, he, he, he was okay, but... Uh, he wasn't a general pattern by any means. So, yeah, uh, I don't think there is any suggestion that there is a biblical principle that you have to pick somebody who's worse for you at the job you need done, but who is a nicer person or a more moral person. Now, happily, happily, in the real world, it doesn't always boil down to... It doesn't uh, usually. Usually yeah. we have more than two choices. Right. But your your analogy is is clear and it's understood, and that is that uh, um, we're 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 looking for a doctor here to fix America, and we found one, and that's very different from somebody we might choose to uh, to have a different kind of relationship with. That's right. That is my point, and so I um, and the funny thing is to me is one of the things that the person who wrote me being very angry at me for supporting President Trump was. I think he said this more than once that he feels I'm betraying my religion and and he feels Christians who follow who are supporting President Trump are betraying their religion and I I did ask him and because we we had a little bit of a correspondence and then I finally said I we're neither of us are going to change the other one's mind so I think that we should leave it at that at this also he was getting extremely rude which was shocking because yeah. we've known this person for years. It was, it, you know, and we've, we've heard from so many different people that long-term relationships, family right. relationships have been shattered. It still feels really weird it's when weird it happens to, yeah, to you. So, yeah. so I yes. did. What I so, said was, I, you know, I just think I, and in the Jewish community, if you would draw a graph of how observant the Jewish person is in terms of keeping the Sabbath, keeping kosher, basically external following, things that you could say following the Bible. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and support for Trump, those go together. The less observant a Jew is, the more of an ethnic Jew they are or just a cultural Jew or calling themselves Jewish and, and actually and not actually even necessarily being Jewish. Um, those people are the ones who hate President Trump. So, I mean, if you're right, an awful lot of you're, you're really in this huge, huge minority people who think like you do. Is there any possibility that you are the one who's not understanding something? Did he answer that point, by I, the way? Because this is a, you know, to just clarify, I want to just make sure people really get this, which is that uh, the more orthodox Jews are, the more they conform to biblical law, uh, the more they support Trump. So the idea that President Jude, Trump, President Trump uh, the, the idea that somehow uh, supporting President Trump is incompatible with religious values. I'm sorry that that simply is not the case. And uh, s we're not expert in the Christian world, but certainly among our friends and the people we know, a very large number of people who are seriously committed evangelical Christians who take the faith very seriously are also supporters of President Trump. Uh, whereas those who are uh, subscribers to uh, the more um, left-leaning denominations of Christianity, such as, uh, well, uh, I'm not even going to name names, uh, they oppose the president. That pattern is replicated in the Jewish community as well. But um, uh, it, it's, it's really pretty amazing. I mean, I, I would like to know what... Well, this is why you said, why did, is he angry? And I think the anger can only come from a feeling... He didn't refute any one of the points I made. He, he always came back with just, I don't know how you can do this. It's so against your values. And everything, every question I asked was ignored. So um, I think that's where the anger comes from. The anger comes from, I think, a deep internal feeling that I'm wrong but I've made this stand and I'm going to stand for it. And so I'll just throw punches yeah. because I can't actually answer any of the arguments. Um, 
Do you have, if anything else occurs to you, I must just pop in with it because I'm going to change gears a little bit. Was there something else you were going to nope, say? No, that's, that's it. I actually think I have to go now. So I, it's been lovely am, spending time I with you. I am not letting you go. Oh. I'm not letting you go. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> well, yes, I am on this. And uh, and we... Uh, we had a child used to say that. You're not the boss. You did they or did they no, just... They did they say it as a joke did. or for real? No, I they always know. used to say, you know, you, whenever you... I don't think always, because I don't think that would have no, gone, gone for a long time. It wouldn't have been. No, one of our children had this phrase, whenever we'd issue an instruction, you're not the boss of me. I think they said it with a, I think she said it with a smile. I don't think she ever thought that was going to fly. Well, let's, we'll check with her. But I really do about it because that. I have to do. I, I understand that. And, and the Sabbath is arriving yeah, soon. Friday. And you are preparing a beautiful uh, Shabbat for us. And as people may or may not know, we're, we, we are not allowed to actually cook and prepare food on, on Shabbat. It all has to be done before, which is what tends to make Fridays extremely busy for Susan. But, uh, you know, married people can't walk away unilaterally. And um, You can come help me cook. Well, I, I can, but I still want to talk to a few hundred oh, okay. thousand of our closest <laughs> friends. Um, and uh, what I wanted to talk about was I wanted to tell you that um, the great and fantastic economist Thomas Sowell. Yes. Um, I was reading his uh, Discrimination and Disparities book again, and he uh, pointed out something which I, I think we've always known, but it was just nice to see it again. He spoke about the... Um, New York City had had several huge power outages. Yes. Um, there were, I forget, there was one in the 1930s, or, uh, but the main one he was talking about was 1965. I remember that one. Do you really? I was a child. In 1965? Yeah. Oh. Um, well, you must have been very teeny. Um, Pretty much so, yes. Yes, you were. Um, and did the power guard in Brooklyn also, uh, just Manhattan? Brooklyn is New York. Nah, come on, it's not really. It's it Long really Island. Is. No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is an old argument we have. But um, anyway, Thomas L. points out that in 1965 and in previous power outages in New York, there was never any looting. It was uh, beyond not looting. It was a helpfulness. In other words, people were stuck places, and it was a, a neighbors helping neighbors. That's right. Comes um, 1977... And there's another big outage, and uh, in that outage and subsequent ones, there was looting, there was bad behavior, like rising crime, horrible things happening. So all the way up to uh, 90, somewhere between 65 and 77, everything changed. Mm -hmm. There were no major outages other than 65 and 77 in that gap. So we don't know if it changed in 68 or 72, but in up to 65, when power went out in New York, everybody was lovely. After 77, when power went out in New York, things went horribly and very badly. He also pointed out that up until uh, the early 1960s, one of the most popular restaurants in the New York area was called the Exchange Buffet. They're I do not remember that. They weren't kosher, I'll tell you that. No, no, no. <laughs> and they, they had numerous, numerous out there. It was very popular, and there were many others of a similar kind. What? How did this work? Um, you would come in, and it was like a buffet. You'd walk past the shelves with your um, tray, and... Here's the interesting thing. I, I think maybe they thought it was rude to have you then go to the cashier because that's not how it worked. You filled your tray with everything you wanted for your meal. You went to your table and you sat down and you enjoyed it. And then before you left, you stepped up to the cashier's booth and you told the cashier what you'd enjoyed, what you had, and the cashier would give you a bill and you'd pay. And this is how it worked for nearly 100 years, all the way up to 1962. And it was then in the early 60s that this place finally went bankrupt and they closed. Why? Because the theft just kept on rising and rising and rising. And they didn't want to change their model. They saw themselves as providing hospitality. And they didn't like the idea of... Uh, putting the cashier in the line so as you can't get your food until you've, you've, you've paid. 
And so they closed, and it went. So Thomas Sowell points out that, again, in the same way I've often said on this show, that somewhere in the early 60s, that is when America changed. Now, here is what I wanted to ask you. Look, uh, when somebody looted in 1977, if you could, if they were the sort of people you could have sat down with and said, I, I want to ask you a question. Is it right or wrong that you loot? They probably would have said, well, it's wrong. Probably, yeah. Probably, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't care. Uh, if you would have asked people in 1965, is it right or wrong to loot, they'd have said wrong, no question about it. And they didn't do it. In 1977, they probably also would have said wrong. But done it. But did it. If you would have gone up to somebody in an exchange cafeteria, a buffet cafeteria, and said, uh, uh, I saw you lie to the cashier telling him or her you ate less than you really did. Uh, they would have been embarrassed. They would have been embarrassed, right? They would have said not good. So the, uh, the thing I wanted to just chat about with you for a few minutes is it isn't enough to know the right thing or to know the wrong thing. Well, can I just take this one more, a little further? Because now when people loot, it's, this is owed to me. It's, it's, they're proud of it. It's, it's, it's a not even. It's gone a stage it's further, gone further today. Yeah. yeah. Today, yes, it, it almost looks hopeless. That's right. But um, there are many instances where we do the wrong thing and we know perfectly well that it's the wrong thing. So why do we do it? Because whatever it is, our impulses or our, we, we, we're, we're weak, we're human beings. So we don't have moral willpower. Yeah. Right? So the idea that you often hear expressed in secular circles is people need to be taught what's right and what's wrong. And I am asking you whether that's sufficient. It would seem to me that many people do wrong, knowing full well that it's wrong. So it's clearly not a, a, a problem. And again, this, this is true for every country uh, we're being heard in right now. This is not unique to America. And that is that um, what protects a society from sliding down the slope of, uh, of moral decay resulting finally in financial decay because you you cannot have one with the other without the other um, is not just a case of, well we're not teaching people what's right and wrong anymore uh, that isn't hard to do what's much harder to do is to provide the moral willpower how does that happen well if i can just go back on something you just said you just said moral decay leads to financial decay the opposing secularist view is financial decay leads to moral decay. In other words, people are only looting because they're poor. Oh, that's a very nice point you're so making. You're, of well, course you're saying it's not agreed upon by everyone. Oh, yeah, of course not everyone would agree upon you. That's very nice. So I'm saying, or we are saying, that if a society's morals slide downhill, then you cannot expect its economy to remain strong and vibrant. Correct. And they would say, when the evils of capitalism prevail, don't blame people right. for starting to steal. Yes. That's probably how they would so, put but, it. But what you're saying, I, it's, when you're, I'm not, when you said, let me try to get this straight, because you were saying it's not enough to know. But, however, what we can see is that that not knowing is only a middle step exactly this because the next generation or a few years later what one knew isn't even what one knows anymore now one tells oneself a different message it is okay to loot i am entitled to loot because i don't have x y or z but let's stop just short of that in the in the long and tragic story of societal decline that ultimately leads to... Well, we're all, look, we all do things, even you and I, everybody, we do things that are wrong. We know, maybe we know we should jump out of bed in the morning, but we instead we lie in bed and we pick up our phone and we start looking at, you know, the news or whatever we want to look at. We, we know that it's a better thing to get up. We Ladies know and gentlemen, <laughs> I just want you to know. <laughs> I wasn't going to name names. What, what do you I think it is like? Names. What do you think it's like? <laughs> 
living with a spouse for whom the worst sin she can think of <laughs> is when she doesn't leap out of bed but sits and looks at her phone. That is, and also, by the way, what you're listening I to today. I didn't say it was the worst thing. <laughs> what you're listening to is like a typical breakfast conversation <laughs> over the cornflakes. So, you know, where, where other couples might be sort of chit-chatting about this or that, this is the level of dialogue that takes place at the Lappin breakfast table every morning. I just thought you'd like to listen <laughs> in on it, and, uh, and for that reason we're sort of sharing it as, as today's podcast. As I was, say as I was saying... Um, we all, you know, we all do things that we we know we shouldn't, whether it's going for the extra ice cream, the extra scoop of ice cream, or the first scoop of ice cream, whether it's not getting up at the right time in the morning, whether it's playing an extra game. What is that game I like playing on my phone that I actually have just put myself in a nine-day ban on because I decided for nine, I, it's becoming a little of an addiction. I need to stop this. Um we all we all have. We're not angels. That's that's how God made us. God made us not to be perfect. So that moral weakness is in all of us. It's something we fight all the time. But so here's my question. So though. what's your question? My question is: Is religion the only way to build up a moral muscle? To build up an internal capacity to exercise restraint over our appetites and urges and impulses i think it is one of the best ways i don't think it's the only way and i'll give you an example let's say somebody comes and they i'm afraid our military has been terribly damaged since president clinton's um days days however let's say somebody does join a military even go back to sparta go back to and you have a commanding officer you really respect I do believe that yes. you're, you are making a higher authority. It's not a religion. I, so I think you do need a higher authority that you feel. I, I, I think if you make yourself your own highest authority, yes. you don't have a chance. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point, I think. You're exactly right. I was also thinking that military is one of those places also where self-discipline is developed extremely effectively. And you're saying it's usually because there's a hierarchical structure. You're looking up. Yeah, to, so to I think somebody. religion is one of the um, most common and one of the, I don't want to say easiest because I don't think, but b believing there is a God. In other words, again, if you believe God is looking over your shoulder, it doesn't matter if no one sees me loot. It doesn't matter if no one sees me pick up my phone and play a game. I am being watched. And I know that. And it can, that can be, it can be presented in a very damaging way as if someone's there with a thunderbolt just waiting to get you as you act human. Or can be presented more as a loving, you know, that um, and just knowing there is a standard and that you're trying to get as close as you can to the standard, even though you're never going to reach what the standard is. You're trying to do the best you can in full acknowledgement of who you are. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I did an interview earlier today um, for a podcast uh, about being good fathers. It's a podcast for fathers. Well, that's a good one for you because you were you were a very good father. You are a very good father. Do you think I so? I think so. I mean, I think there are mistakes we made as parents, but oh, no, I think no on the whole, yes. I think on the whole, we were you were a good father. Okay, and I don't. It would be pandering if I said, "Oh, and yes, you were a pretty good pandering. mother too." So I, I won't say that, even though I, I, I think that uh, I agree with you basically. But yes, um, why I, I bring that up is that I was asked uh, for one one thing that would be my most important message, and I said, "Look, uh, building a family is far too complex an enterprise." to be reduced to one slogan, no matter how good it is. That, so, I would agree with that 100%. So I absolutely can. If somebody said to me, well, what is the most important? You know, you and Susan have, have been blessed to raise a wonderful family. When I say a wonderful family, do you know one of the things I'm, I'm so grateful for is that um, each one of them has spiritually is walking in our path, which is pretty amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. And I will just say, though, they're not walking in our identical path. Each of them has with their own twists, but the basic framework and the basic. And I think that's one of the things that made us 
that that did thank God make us good parents is that we didn't say you have to be exactly like us for right. us to accept you. But we also clearly laid out the boundaries of the Where road. Where the road signs were. So this yeah. is a biblical path, and uh, we expect you to walk a biblical path. Exactly how or where. Yeah, I mean, they're, um, they, they are all right on that path. I mean, some of them are on more strict of a path than we are. <laughs> yes, that's probably true as well. Uh, anyway, that's, that's all great. But so I, I refused to give one. what I thought was like the one most right. important thing. But I said I would give you one thing. Okay. One thing. And I'll tell you what I said. Okay. And then I would be interested to know how you would answer that same question. What I said was that um, I said... Uh, it is much more effective uh, to do a lot of small things consistently right over the course of, shall we say, a year than to um, uh, be indifferent to many things during the course of the year and then have one huge thing, either a massive explosion of anger and application of discipline uh, or a huge reward like a, a trip to Disneyland because you've been such good children the whole year. Uh, as opposed to a steady diet each and every day of ceaseless vigilance and constant helping children become aware of um, consequences and actions and rights and responsibilities and so on. So that was what I said, that uh, a consistency I, over a lot of small things is more important than one huge thing. I think, no, I would certainly agree with you. And I, I think we did tend to do a family vacation that was very valuable, partially because it isolated our children. We went boating, which meant they were in a small area and they had only each other and us for company, basically, um, for an extended period of time. I think that was very helpful. But if I had to say do that for, let's say, three weeks a year or two weeks a year and the rest of the year don't do the things we did, I would have had to say that was less important. What did we do? We had family meals. We had family. We were homeschooling, so we actually had family lunch and supper almost every day of the week. We had reading aloud. That was a big deal that we had family books. And there was a 10-year age gap, so it wasn't always, a, you know, the younger ones probably didn't understand sometimes. But we had family books that we read and we discussed, and we had family, family bonding over that. We certainly had family Bible study. And as a family, we welcomed guests into our house. We were all part of the—we used to have a lot—we we had a lot of guests every Shabbat, and it was something we all participated in. Um, and if I—well, I loved our summer trips, and I think they were very valuable in forming a lot of our family ethos. Um, I don't think— they would, they would not have outweighed and said, well, for nine months, for 11 months of the year, barely see each other or barely spend time together, but you'll get that one, one month a year where you do it. There's no question that the daily things are more important. Yeah, yeah that's right. Um, okay, anything else for our listeners as we uh, prepare to start saying goodbye for today? Well, I just want to remind them to go look at the Financial Prosperity Collection. Um, available by download for those of you who are not in the United States and Canada, though you can download it if you are in the United States and Canada, and available only for the people of the United States and Canada on a USB flash drive. You call it a thumb drive, I think. I don't know what it is. I just use whatever language the office put in front of me. It's, a little, flash thing, drive. it's a little thing that comes in the mail. I know what it is, <laughs> but I, I don't know what the proper name yeah. is. Now, you also told me um, that you wanted to tell people about what? the fact that something wasn't ready last week. Ah, so show. last week when you did, you did mention the Financial Prosperity Collection last week. And unfortunately, the um, resource was not up on our website when the podcast first went out. So you may have gone and looked for it and said, this is really annoying. And I agree. And we apologize. It would have been annoying. And then we were having trouble with the download. So the download only went up in the last 48 hours. But I, as far as I know, everything is up and working now, so please don't go and look at it again, especially because there is a great introductory sale price that isn't going to last for that much longer. And where and should people go? To www.rabbidaniellappin.com. And while you're there, after you have purchased your financial prosperity collection or decided not to, if that's your decision, I would encourage you to go over and look at my practical parenting page and my Susan's Musings page. Um, I, Susan's Musings I've been doing for years. It goes out once a week. That's where that person read my views of President Trump and basically attacked me for it. 
And I will tell you that he did that privately through a private email. And I said, one of the things I said is I would like to share. I think it's good for people to hear opposite opposing points of view. May I share your words? And again, he didn't just say, no, I'd rather not, which is fine. He got angry at me. I wrote you privately because this is private. Well, I was asking his permission. I was not saying I'm going to betray you. But if you actually believe what you're saying is so right, why would you not want it shared? Even without your name, just the words. I mean, he was angry at me for asking whether I could share. So, again, there's something emotional going on there, not intellectual. Yes, However, without doubt. that's my Susan's Musings. Mm-hmm. My Practical Parenting is a relatively new column because I know that not everybody is parenting or grandparenting at this point and that everyone is interested in that. So, if you – but if you are interested, if you do have an interest in the next generation or the generation that after that, take a look over at my Practical Parenting page as well. I'd love to hear your response to that. Um, it was lovely spending time with you. That you, do you mean with our listeners or with your husband? Everybody. Everybody, okay. <laughs> everybody. <laughs> right. But I have to go now. And so do I. So all that oh remains goodness. is uh, for us to uh, wish you all a fantastically productive and healthy week, a week of good times with your faith, with your family, with your friends, and with your finance. I'm Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. Spilling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin On Demand on the Blaze Radio Network.